Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Okay, so we're making our way through Matthew, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section of teaching, Jesus tells us that all of us, all of us have a bent to do a good thing once in a while because of an ulterior motivation. Some of you know that I'm in a a group of pastors, a pastoral cohort Um, that has been together for a a number of years now, and we're deeply engaged in each other's lives. There's six of us, and we minister in all different parts of the United States, and we we meet together once a year in a different city to spend a few days in prayer and in engagement and in talk and having fun together. And uh, last year, we met in Seattle, where one of the six of us lives and does ministry. And the first night we're together, we always have a nice dinner out somewhere. And so um, at this meal, I decided that I was going to pay for the entire meal because I'm, I'm awesome. I mean, that's because I'm just that, that great. I just felt the compulsion to, to pay for everyone's meal. And so I got up and uh, went and found our waiter after we had eaten. And I told him, charge it all to me. And I gave him my card and he swiped the card and he handed it back to me. And then I came and I sat back down with my friends with kind of a, you know, kind of a grin on my face, just waiting for the waiter to come and, you know, give me the tab or the receipt. Uh, But instead what happened was the waiter came and just said, y'all's meal has been taken care of. And then he left. And I found myself thinking, what the heck, man? You're supposed to come and say, 
Pastor Evans, here's your receipt. And, you know, kind of bow and kiss the ring, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't get any credit at all. And you know what? One of the first thoughts that went through my mind was, what a waste of money this was. I'm glad you're laughing because um, that communicates to me that I'm not the only one who, from time to time, might do a good deed so that others will notice. I know I'm not alone in this. I'm a little bit less embarrassed in telling that story than I would have been if I had felt alone. Uh, Sometimes we all do good things, we all do kind things, and we want to be seen. We want to be thanked, don't we? We want to be appreciated or applauded. That's a part of the human condition. And that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 1 when he says, Beware, watch out for practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus, as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, without question is concerned about our behavior. Jesus cares about what you do. But he's also concerned, and maybe even more concerned, with our motivations. If you practice righteousness, he says, so that others will notice, Jesus has a word for that, you're a hypocrite. More on that in just a moment. But if you practice your righteousness for God, Jesus says, you will be rewarded by God. As we make our way through the Sermon on the Mount and through Matthew, um, This is Jesus' most famous collection of teachings. And and we finished up chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we saw that Jesus emphasizes actions. He says, you've heard, don't commit murder. But I say to you, don't even hold anger against anyone. You've heard, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at someone with lustful intent in your heart. Otherwise, you are guilty. Um, Now in chapter 6... Jesus moves from primarily emphasizing actions to primarily emphasizing intentions. Uh, J.D. Salinger wrote a book called The Catcher in the Rye. Some of you might have read it. And the protagonist in that book is a, a young man named Holden Caulfield, who at one point says, quote, If you do something good, then after a while, if you don't watch it, you start showing off, and then you're not as good anymore. That's what Christ is teaching here. If you look at verse 48 from chapter 5, Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But then he immediately goes on to tell his people that when we practice righteousness or live a good life in a way that is overly self-conscious, in a way that is attention-seeking, It's not actually righteousness at all. It's hypocrisy. That's the theme of these verses. And so I want to think about this idea, which is a challenging one, under two headings with you today for the next couple of minutes. I want to show you first hypocrisy and its reward, and then secondly, devotion and its reward. Okay? So let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to impress on us as we look at Jesus teaching us. First, hypocrisy and its reward. You can break these verses down pretty simply. Verse 1 is the theme verse for this section of teaching. And then, as Jennifer read, you might have noticed that Jesus gives three examples of what he's talking about. One example is in the area of charity. The second is in the area of prayer. And the third is in the area of fasting. He's illustrating 
the ways in which people in his day practiced their righteousness in order to be seen by others. And he says, watch out, beware, be careful. And so Jesus primarily here is not teaching specifically on these three practices, giving, prayer, and fasting, with the exception of prayer, which is a bit of a diversion from the main theme, and we're not going to really touch on the Lord's Prayer today. Rather, the broad theme of 1 through 18 is the difference between religious hypocrisy and religious devotion. And what Jesus wants to guard us against is practicing righteousness before other people. Look at that word, hypocrisy. You see it in verse 2. Don't do this as the hypocrites do. You see it in verse 5. Don't do this as the hypocrites do. You see it again in verse 16. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. That word, hypocrite, is a word that when we hear it, has a negative connotation. It's a pejorative word for us. And really, the only reason it's a pejorative word for us is because of Jesus' teaching. In Jesus' day, the word hypocrite did not have the same negative connotation that it has today. The word in Greek is hypokritos, and literally it means an actor, a thespian, a stage player. And in fact, right down the road from Galilee, where Jesus, as we've seen, grew up, um, uh, there was a large theater in a neighboring city called Sephorus. This theater had been commissioned to be built by Herod the Great. Interesting side note, many commentators speculate that Joseph, Jesus' dad, who was a carpenter, almost certainly was a part of the construction crew building this theater, and it's likely that Jesus, as a boy, would have gone and accompanied his father. So Jesus had seen likely, this theater being built, and they would have shows all the times in which actors or performers would gather and put on plays. So when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, the original audience would have immediately thought of that theater and those actors. Jesus is saying, when you practice your faith with a motive to be noticed by other people, It's just acting. It's not real. It's all a show. That word he uses, verse 1, to be seen, is a very interesting word. In the original language, it's a verb, theathenai. You might notice that's where we get our word theater from. To be seen, to be on display, to be noticed is the difference that Jesus wants to draw out. There's practicing devotional righteousness that's directed towards God, and then there's practicing hypocritical righteousness. You might even call it theatrical righteousness. Let's talk a moment more about the issue here. Jesus, I think we need to clarify, is not saying, he's not saying here we should not do good works, okay? In fact, notice he assumes that we're doing all these things. He doesn't say If you give, or if you pray, or even if you fast. He says when you give and pray and fast. Jesus presumed that his people are going to be engaged in good works. Good works are not bad. They're good. Hence the term good works. Jesus isn't saying don't do good works. Nor is he saying that you have to hide your good works. In fact, in verse 16 of chapter 5... Jesus just said in the same sermon, let your light shine before men that they may what? See your good works and so glorify 
your Father who is in heaven. He's not saying it's wrong to pray in public. He's not saying it's wrong for people to know that you've been generous. He's not saying it's wrong for people to know you've been fasting. He's saying don't do these things in order to be seen by others. The issue isn't that we might be seen praying. The issue is when we pray to be seen. Walk with me briefly through these three examples he gives. And let's engage. First, Jesus teaches, verse 2, that when we give, he says, Sound no trumpet like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now, we're not sure that literally happened in Jesus' day. Okay, I'm going to give now. Probably not. Okay, there's probably no trumpet. But his point is clear. Don't give. You like my trumpet? Uh, Don't give so that others, Kevin won't let me play. I just can't believe it. Don't give, he says, so that others will be impressed with your righteousness. (laughs) A number of years ago, uh, we sent a missions team that I was able to go with to Bolivia and um, the way we worship, we worship with the church in Bolivia multiple times. Some of you are going to remember this. Uh, and it was very fascinating to me the way that they practice the offering in this church. After the service or after the sermon is preached, the pastor would go down right in the front and every single person in the church walks down the aisle and there's a plate right there, right by the pastor and people drop their money in and walk back. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is a great way to give. We need to change the way we do it. I'm just kidding. It's not really a great way to give. And and that was striking to a lot of us. And it's not inherently wrong, but it's an example, I think, of the ways in which we can do this in order to be seen. It would have certainly been possible in that context for someone whose heart is stone cold and rock dead to the word of God to, after the sermon, get up and go put a wad of cash in the offering plate and everybody sees it and is impressed. He's saying, um, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 3. So Jesus is saying, it's not only possible for us to give so that others will be pleased with us. He's even saying, it's possible for us to give so that we'll be pleased with ourselves. That's what that verse means. When you give so that your right hand knows what your left hand is doing, you're giving, Jesus is saying, with sort of a congratulatory self-consciousness. You're giving to feel good about yourself. I like the way that makes me feel. And Jesus says that this is just as hypocritical as giving so others will see how generous you are. Secondly, verse 7, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's verse 5. Then verse 7, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Remember the movie Meet the Parents? A great movie from the 90s where uh, Ben Stiller plays this guy who wants to impress his soon-to-be fiancé, his girlfriend's in-laws, and he goes and visits them at their home for the weekend. And and the father-in-law is played by Robert De Niro, pretty funny movie. And uh, one of the classic scenes of that movie is when they sit down together for dinner the first night they're together. And Ben Stiller, his character is Jewish. Ben Stiller's Jewish in real life. And they ask Ben Stiller's character to pray. And uh, he begins to utter this really off-the-cuff, really obviously... uh, theatrical play, praying to the Lord of hosts to thank them for this bounty before them. It's really funny. And it's an obvious example of praying 
with a cognizant awareness of how other people are listening. Jesus says also there's the example of fasting. When you fast, don't look gloomy, verse 16, like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen. These people would go out in public with this ostentatious display of how famished and how parched they were so that everyone would know what their fasting was costing them. So Jesus is saying that hypocrisy is practicing Christian conduct Practicing spiritual disciplines with an ulterior motive to make others feel good about you or to even feel good about ourselves. Now, I imagine that we read all these examples that Jesus gives and we all react somewhat similarly with varied levels of disgust. Ugh, right? No one likes hypocrites. We can't stand hypocrisy. It drives us all crazy. It's so disingenuous. It's so tainted with selfishness. And that's not an incorrect diagnosis. It's not wrong for us to feel that way. But it's so easy for us to say those hypocritical Pharisees and to forget our own hearts, to not let the Bible be a mirror to us. Jesus gives these three examples, but this sort of thing shows up in all kinds of facets of our lives as Christians. Have you ever served someone in your church? Maybe you watch their kids for a while and the kids are little. Maybe you help them move and you showed up and there wasn't a single box packed. That ever happened? Um, maybe you made them a meal and there's no thank you or acknowledgement in any way for your service or for your sacrifice. And have you ever responded, what the heck? What's up with that? Don't you see what I've done for you? Didn't you notice? Aren't you forgetting something? Two little words, starts with a T and a Y. Thank you. What's our motive? Think about worship gatherings. Uh-oh. Think about what we're doing right now. The temptation to hypocrisy abounds here, my friends. And it can happen in a wide variety of worship styles. When I was a college student, we would go to college worship nights at Baylor. Baylor is the mecca of hypocrisy, by the way. Wonderful place, but the mecca of hypocrisy. We would go to uh, college worship nights, and, and it was just palpable sometimes how people were trying to posture themselves so that others would see them as seriously engaged with God. Their eyes would be closed tight. Their hands might shoot up quickly. We might even have a few tears. And I don't think it's me being a cynic only to say that that can be a little bit showy. But it doesn't have to be in that style. When we went to seminary and started going to a historic 250-year-old center city church, the same hypocrisy was there, but in a very different manifestation. It wasn't eyes raised and, excuse me, hands raised and eyes closed. It was, can you be stoic enough and nod your head enough and let everyone know that you think this is a great theologically accurate sermon? That sort of thing shows up regularly in various kinds of worship settings. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting, when people are praying out loud, and you pray, but you're cognizant of how other people are taking in the words you're using. We can even use prayer to give a theology lecture, especially in Presbyterian circles, frankly, to everyone listening. Even right now, listen, 
right now, in this sermon, I could be preaching to you so that you will leave here thinking, man, he is so great. He is so gifted. What a great point he made. I can live for you to come up to me and say, that was so good, Luke. And you would never know. Why do we do all this? Why are all of us prone towards hypocrisy? It's because our hearts all long to be noticed. We all long for attention. We all long for applause. We all long to be celebrated. And listen, that is not bad. It's not. That is not wrong. That's a part of the way we're made. We literally come into this world out of the womb screaming for attention. That's a part of the way that God has designed us. But when the audience that we are after is someone other than God, when it comes to our religious practices, everything is skewed. Everything is wrecked. Every human being, every day, in an infinite variety of ways, is saying, somebody notice me. And we can use religious practice in exactly the same way, which is Jesus' point. We take what is meant to be a way to know God and turn it into a way for people to know us, twisting the intent. That's hard, isn't it? And did you catch what Jesus does? Three times he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What does that mean? It means that if what you're after in your Christian life and in your spiritual practices is to be noticed and to be praised by others and for everybody to think, man, he's so godly or he's so smart or she knows the Bible so well or she's such a gifted prayer, then God will give it to you. If you give to feel good about yourself, you can have your reward. God says the reward is that you get exactly what you're after. The applause and approval and praise of others. That's fine. Have at it. But God is out of the equation. It doesn't really involve him at all. Listen to how Dallas Willard put it. He says this, quote, Hypocrites are seen by other people. That is the reward they wanted. They got it. The entire operation lay within the range of human competence. Because they had not involved God in what they were doing, he does not intrude on their project. They are at the level of pharisaical righteousness, which never enters the kingdom. Again, the ego swells, the soul shrivels. Jesus asks us to seriously examine the intention beneath the action. And he points us to a better way than the way of hypocrisy. He points us to to devotion. Let's look at that second, okay, and more briefly. In each example, did you see Jesus gives a contrast? He gives a contrast to the hypocrisy he outlines. In verse 3, he says, When you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, Pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, look normal so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who sees in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying, 
When we practice righteousness and devotion in the way in which it is intended, we are rewarded. A couple of comments on this, and then we'll finish, okay? First, did you notice how in each instance, Jesus focuses us on the idea of devotion to God in secret? Did you see that? He repeats it three times. Again, the point is not that we cannot do these things in public. The point is our intention. Oz Guinness uh, is a Christian author who wrote a book about the Puritans. And one of the things that he says about the Puritans struck me as relevant to Jesus' teaching here. He says the Puritans lived their lives as if they were living with an audience of one. Before an audience of one. And we are being called here by Jesus to live our lives before an audience of one. Christ is saying the only opinion... And the only praise and the only approval that really matters is the approval of God the Father. That's what Jesus is after. If all you want is the approval of other people because of your really religiosity, then you can have that. God will give you that, but then he leaves the building. But if you want God's favor and approval, if you want God's intimacy and life, then use your spiritual life to pursue just that. Jesus is saying, God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. And Jesus provides a pathway for us to be freed from the tyranny of living for human praise. Do you know that that is slavery? He is freeing us from the bondage of people-pleasing, of having to be an actor on a stage, a player, in a game. Aren't we exhausted by that? No one can keep up with that kind of people-pleasing and people-impressing rat race. So Jesus comes with his light burden and his easy yoke. And he says, you can have the affection and you can have the approval that your heart longs for and you can have it from God for free. Don't you want that? Leave the hypocrisy behind. Practice your righteousness in secret. If God alone sees your devotion, that is enough by far. Jesus isn't, secondly here, teaching some sort of works righteousness, okay? He's not saying, if you do these things, God will love you and approve of you. That is not what he's saying. We have to see the the relational dynamic that's in play here. Jesus is saying, listen, he's saying God is a good and a loving father. He says right here, God knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. He is our father in heaven. And he's already brought us into the kingdom, not in spite of our poverty of spirit, but precisely because of our poverty of spirit. Don't you want to be close To a dad like that. That's Jesus' message. All of us want to be close to our fathers. From the day we're born, we want to please our fathers. And Jesus is saying, when you devote yourself to me, when you do good works, when you love others well, when you commit time to being with me, God the Father is happy about that. God is pleased. God is even impressed with that. 
Do you notice that Jesus repeatedly highlights the idea that God will reward? He will reward our genuine devotion. It's not the reward of salvation because we've earned it. That's, of course, not what he's saying. It's the reward of intimacy. It's the reward of relationship. It's the reward of closeness with your father. Because we're pursuing the father's heart in response to the father pursuing ours. Listen, as a father, when my kids do things sheerly out of love for me, sheerly because they want me to be pleased with them, even if it's not very impressive in the abstract, That is so delightful and pleasing to me as a dad. Think about this, okay? When my kids were little, when they were toddlers, when they were kindergartners, Ainsley, for example, Ainsley would, uh, she would draw all these pictures, and she would draw pictures of a football game because she knew her dad loved watching football. And it wasn't a picture that's ever going to hang in the Louvre, but it delighted me. Nate once tried to help with house cleaning when he was a toddler, and he cleaned all the windows without being asked, but he used the wrong cleaning supply, and it left huge smudges everywhere, but it delighted us. He was devoted, out of love. Ben, when he was littler, would try to help. (laughs) He would try to help Marianne make dinner, and, uh, you know, he'd contribute maybe, maybe, a lot of spilled ingredients, and he would snap the pasta in half so that Marianne could put them in the boiling water. But it delighted her. It delighted her because he wanted to be with her. He wanted to help her. He wanted to show love. God is pleased with the devoted love of his children. That's what Christ is saying. And Jesus is inviting us into the freedom of self-forgetful devotion to our Heavenly Father. He says, you don't have to live the way everyone else lives. You don't have to use religion or Christian practice as another in the multitude of ways that you try to be impressive to people. You can just rest in the settled love that I have for you and respond to God's love. By living to please him. What a better way. Don't practice your righteousness so that others will see you. Practice it so that God will see you. And he will give you the reward. The life that you were made for. A life of connection to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let's pray.